The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. The Coach's Roundtable is also brought to you by Sequencer. Sequencer is a new product that uses simulation modeling to create a data-driven solution for lineup creation. Input your player stats, simulate thousands of different lineups with a couple clicks, and get feedback on which is most effective at scoring runs. Visit Sequencer for a free trial. That's S-E-Q-N-Z-R dot com. And feel free to shoot a note to at Sequencer on Twitter with any questions. They're also partnering with Driveline Baseball to add to their world-class product offering. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable podcast. Today, I've got three coaches that are going to break down some baseball insight and knowledge for us. I'm your host, Joel Credo, and I'm going to get you to know these coaches, but enough from me. Let's get to know these guys for themselves, and we'll start with you first, Coach Lindsay. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Thanks for having me, Joel. Uh, my name is Christopher Lindsay. I'm a pitching instructor and pitching coach for my son's travel baseball team in Broomfield, Colorado. My path to coaching is a bit different than coaches I've heard in previous episodes. I played varsity all throughout high school, being a part of a state championship team my senior year. After high school in 2010, I was awarded a baseball scholarship to play at Bryan College in Dayton, Tennessee. After my freshman year, I moved to Columbia, South Carolina to continue school. Once my playing career ended, I really had no idea what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I've been so focused on baseball and used to the routines and the schedule that baseball brings. I wasn't mentally prepared for life outside of sports. I coached for one season in Columbia, South Carolina at, as the head JV coach and varsity pitching coach for Heathwood Hall in 2011. My next coaching opportunity was at Westminster High School in Colorado in 2013. Baseball was just something to pass the time. I didn't take those two opportunities as seriously as I should have. I've learned this all part of the journey to become who I needed to be. In 2014, I met my amazing future wife, Nicole, and she had an amazing son named Jonathan, who was seven when we first started dating. Now, Jonathan, he played football, and we never really talked about baseball that much. At this point, I was completely away from baseball, switching past games on TV. I didn't know who some of the best baseball players were. I had many jobs, but nothing that I really enjoyed. At age 11, Jonathan asked me if he could try out for the youth baseball this season. This happened to be a week before practice and tryouts actually started. I said, well, buddy, you have never played forever. Let's take a year to practice and we'll try it next year. Jonathan was determined that after a couple of days, we decided to sign him up. I ended up helping the head coach Thomas for the season as a pitching coach. Jonathan grew that first season. We always arrived an hour earlier than everyone else because I knew Jonathan needed the extra practice. And if he wanted to do better, I wanted to help any way I can. It was a great chance to Jonathan. Hard work does pay off in baseball and in life. You can't get better at something by just wishing for it. You need to invest time to get the reward. Working with him really reminded me why I loved the game and how much fun it was coaching my son like my dad did before me. The following fall, I coached Joe's fall baseball team. We continued to improve. In the following season, we jumped into competitive baseball. Joe ended up playing on a team in age group above him. I joined on as the pitching coach. That fall, I was introduced to the mental game. Joe was at a baseball clinic. I was reading a baseball book. And another father asked what I was reading and asked if I'd ever heard of the ABCA podcast. I hadn't. I knew what podcasts were, but I'd never given them a listen. So I hopped in the car to grab Joe a lunch down the street and pick a random episode to listen to. That episode happened to feature Augie Garrido, the second most winningest coach in college history. I didn't know who he was at the time. I was just listening to podcasts, and I really liked what I was hearing. 
He talked about the mental part of baseball, which really made sense to me. I wish I'd known this when I played, but now I have an amazing opportunity to pass this on to as many players as I can for mental skills for both baseball and life. I believe everything happens for a reason. I've never met that father before, and I've never seen him again, but that one interaction changed my life. I want to teach these kids skills so they can succeed and not make some of the same mistakes I did when I was younger. If one out of 13 kids gets my message, I think it's a win. At the age of 28, I have a clear vision of what I want to do, and that's coaching for the rest of my life. Awesome. We're glad to have you on, Coach. And how about you, Coach Conklin? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. I think what you do is awesome, giving our, our coaches a platform to speak about our philosophies during this time down. So thank you for that. Um, I've been very fortunate to have been surrounded by some amazing people and had some great opportunities coming out of high school. I, I became a coach as soon as I graduated high school. I had a job waiting for me with the Motor City Hit Dogs out of Michigan. Um, I'm currently serving as the uh, college placement coordinator, and I'm an instructor for the Motor City Hit Dogs. On top of that, I'm their 16U head coach, and my team consists of 2021 and 2022 graduates. Um, and then after that, I'm also um, a varsity assistant baseball coach at Utica Eisenhower High School um, in Michigan. Awesome. We're glad to have you on as well, Coach Conklin. And what about you, Coach Elliott? Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are now. Um, I grew up in Ireland um, until I was about 10, came over here, and the way I started playing, you know, sports was to interact and get to know kids. I became pretty good at baseball. Um, I was really short in high school, so I only played one year of varsity baseball, got cut twice, played JV my junior year. Um, went to a junior college, got cut. Went to a different junior college, and two years later I got drafted in the fourth round. Played five and a half years with the Astros, got the double A, um, couldn't afford to keep playing, uh, got out of baseball and went back to school. And after school, I started teaching and I've been doing this for about 25, 30 years, almost going on 30 years. Um, Quakes baseball is what I've been doing. Um, I'm very fortunate to have uh, a wonderful helper with my wife that helps me do a lot of this stuff. And um, just uh, this is my first podcast, so I, I hope I can be helpful. Awesome. We're glad to have you on, guys. And so let's get into the baseball questions and have some discussion here. And we'll start with you first, Coach Conklin, on your thoughts. Should we be spending more time improving the overall athleticism of a player or just prim primarily their baseball skills? Yeah, so that's a tough one because I think both both are pretty important. But um, when you really compare the two and you really think about what both actually mean, I would have to say that um, overall athleticism would probably be more important to me just because from an aspect of, I mean, if these kids want to go on and play at the next level, um, if you're more of an athlete, you're going to be more appealing to, to college coaches at any level, whether that be JUCO or all the way up to D1. Um, a more athletic player, you're able to train them to do whatever you want them to do. Um, for example, you might have a, a corner infielder that uh, that can only play third or first base just because he worked on those baseball skills at those spots, and they might not be as valuable to a to a college uh, coach or recruiting coordinator just based on that because they don't have um, that well-rounded athletic ability to be able to do whatever they need um, them to do at the next level. So I would have to argue. Um, athleticism be more important for me. 
And what about you, Coach Elliot? What are your thoughts? Should we be spending more time improving the overall athleticism of a ball player or just primarily their baseball skills? Um, I have a 10,000-square-foot facility, and we do a ton of conditioning, running, strength and conditioning stuff throughout what we do. So I think athleticism and time are going to make an athlete what he is, and the skill set stuff can be honed over that time if they're interested in getting to the next level in high school or college or pro or whatever the situation is. Um, I agree with um, what he said prior to this in that athletes need to be able to do more things, not less. Um, I don't think specific skills are going to make you a better baseball player when you're 18 if you don't work on your athleticism. And what about you, Coach Lindsay? Should we be spending more time improving the overall athleticism of a ball player or just primarily their baseball skills? I say athleticism. At my level, 14 under, players need to decide if baseball is what they want to pursue in high school and beyond. I've seen players lose interest in ever playing again before high school tries to even start because a parent would make baseball more of a job than a game. It has to be fun, and once you hit the high school level and beyond, it gets more serious. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but you have to be mentally and physically ready for the competition. Um, when players reach high school level and beyond, I definitely think you need to incorporate drills outside of baseball to be successful and build the best all-around athletes. My freshman year of high school, we spent two weeks on the track for our first practice. There were no baseball or bats around. It's just building stamina and endurance. We could have spent that time hitting or throwing and taking balls, ground balls, but our head coach wanted us to be strong all-around athletes. I'm currently rereading Augie Garrido's book, Life is Yours to Win, and he actually molded his teachings of the double play like how his daughter's ballet instructor taught basic steps of movement to help build muscle memory. I like to use basketball as an example with players who stand straight up to practice being in an athletic position. I'll use the example, if you're guarding someone standing straight up, they'll probably go right past you. But if you're in a, a good athletic position, you're ready for any circumstance. Um, overall, there's so many benefits to having full athletes compared to one-dimensional players who only focus on baseball drills. I'd also like to mention players can get into routines and habits when they only focus on baseball drills. They go through the motions once they become comfortable. I'll bring out a football to run passes and practice outfield footwork just to shock the body and keep practice sporadic. Awesome stuff, guys. Now we're going to transition into the next question, and this is kind of the chicken or the egg question, so it's fun to discuss. And I'll start with you first, Coach Elliott. Does team chemistry promote success, or does success promote that team chemistry thanks joel uh i think uh chemistry is built through the process of what you do and winning is a process time for some some teams and a talented team takes less time but i think how you create a um a habit for these kids and what you do every day is going to build on what your your um, culture is and success uh, winning is a product of that in the long term. And I don't think um, winning breeds habits. I think winning is a product of what you're doing every day. And there are some teams that, especially out here in Southern California, that acquire a lot of talented kids and they, they win. But how they go about their business and what the character of how they play and what they do on the field is not representative of what's going to be long-term success for higher athletes. 
And what about you, Coach Lindsay? Do you think that team chemistry promotes success, or do you think that success promotes team chemistry? I've seen it both ways. My freshman year of high school, we were making our playoff run, and I was on a team of, of nine seniors, and we'd have the best team chemistry because I was obviously a younger guy, but as we continued to do better and, and win and make a run for the state championship, we really grew as a team. Now, on the other hand, I coached a 12U team recently. We went to Cooperstown, New York, in the Cooperstown Baseball World Tournament. Most of these teams that we played against have been playing together for years, if not at least a season together. And I had a team consisting of kids from seven different organizations. We had a, pra- a couple, a week of practice, and we went out there and lost the first three games by 10 runs. I can't tell you how impressed I was watching these boys learn about each other, figure out they had more, way more in common than they first thought, and becoming a family. We ended up winning two of those last five games, and we, we played every other game close. The kids came together, and I really wish we had another week to play because they were becoming a really good team. And just the team chemistry is just knowing each other and trusting each other compared to not knowing each other two weeks ago. And just watching the kids grow throughout the week, it, it, it was it was beautiful. Um, and as I move forward with coaching, I'm going to continue to make team chemistry a priority before we even step on the field. I think it's important that the kids become best friends. Um, I, I can't remember – I heard it, the ABCA quote, and I, hate, I can't remember who it was offhand, but it, it went um, – you don't have to like your teammate. You have to love them. And that's what we teach. You know, we, I want my players to respect each other, have fun. And I think if you show up and you don't have good team chemistry, you're probably not going to have much fun. If you show up with good team chemistry and you, you build it early, then it will lead to success as the season goes on. Um, I think, like I said, winning does promote success because if you're winning, you feel good. But I think you need to start before the season even begins and start having them hang out text on the cell phone exchange gamer tags and uh, all that kind of stuff can really benefit them so they get to know each other before the season even starts and we start practicing and what about you coach conklin do you think that team chemistry promotes success or do you think that success promotes team chemistry yeah so kind of like you already mentioned i think that's a really loaded question and i think that you can't be wrong with uh with either side whether whatever your um, examples are or whatever you want to argue for um, what I would say is I would say team chemistry probably promotes success for me. Originally, when I first saw this question and I thought about it, I, 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 whether I'm right or wrong, I thought about it as like an individual or team kind of mindset. So um, when I saw team chemistry, I thought of more of like a team type mindset where it's, uh, you know, we before me type thing. And I saw just seeing success separated from team chemistry, I thought of it more as an individual thing. So um, obviously, like one of the coaches said before me, winning definitely is going to help that uh, cause. If you're winning, you're going to probably build team chemistry a lot faster than some other teams that aren't winning. And that's just how it is. I mean, there's teams out there that do a lot more winning than others. That doesn't make one better than the other. It just takes longer sometimes for other teams to kind of develop that team chemistry over time just because winning isn't there. Um, but to be short and sweet, I would say that team chemistry probably promotes success. All right, we're going to move into this next question, and it's more baseball coaching in itself. So we'll start with you first, Coach Lindsay. What is something that you chart during games or practices? My favorite thing to track in practice is hustle. I actually got this from an ABCA podcast episode, and I, I'm mad at myself. I can't remember which one is it offhand, but um, I love charting hustle because if a player is ever walking in practice, they get a mark, and whoever has the least marks will be rewarded, usually with baseball cards. And that just shows them that there is a reward to move everywhere. There shouldn't be any walking in practice. If I can teach kids at the youth level to never walk during practice, it both makes practice effective and active, 
but it also creates a memory that when I'm at practice, I hustle everywhere. And I think these things stick. For instance, I always tuck in my shirt every time we play a game of practice because that's how I was taught. It is just muscle memory stuff that you know when you go to the ball field, you do. You hustle everywhere during the game. Uh, when it comes to games, it becomes tricky to track with only two to three coaches since I, we are coaching a UCCSA 14U uh, tournaments. We use Game Change a lot. I like to look at the stats. I'll try to keep the book during the game. Um, the biggest aspect to look for with our hitters is who went deep into the count and who who was swinging the first or second pitch. Usually, you know, who, we always want the hitter, you know, hitters get deep into the count, make make the pitcher work. So I always look for that after the game during Game Changer. Um, and when it comes to pitchers, I track pitch counts, locations. Um, in high school, my coach had a very detailed pitching chart for every team we played, with locations, pitch types, and counts. And that's definitely be going to be a tool that I am going to use going forward. And what about you, Coach Conklin? What's something that you chart during practice or games? So like Coach just mentioned kind of before, I think Game Changer's really taking over the whole baseball scoring thing, which is awesome because if you really look into Game Changer and you see um, the advanced statistics that it can provide you, some of those statistics on there um, are pretty cool statistics that you can learn um, pitch location, how hitters did on pitch location, certain pitch locations. I mean, you just got to look at the list. The list is massive. So if you ever have a chance and you don't know about them, um, go go take a look at it and just look at the advanced things that that can show you because that's huge um, when it comes to games. And like Coach already just said, that sometimes if we're coaching summer ball or travel ball, whatever it may be, you are usually, for the most part, going to be limited on your coaching staff to where you might not be able to chart some of these things that, say, a college organization or, or program might be charting. So that would make that difficult, um, especially even in practice, too, because in practice you might have even less staff, so it, you can't always chart the things you would want to chart. But obviously, you can see things with your eyes, like hustle. Um, hustle's a big thing. Um, who's running on and off the field. And, and I, just, I absolutely hate seeing people walk and, and even jog. I mean, just sprint to your next spot. So those are things that really stand out in practice. I wish I could chart more things in practice, um, but just limited staff members kind of makes that a little more difficult. And what about you, Coach Elliot? What's something that you chart during games or practices? Um, <clears throat> practices, I, I, uh, when we're covering first and thirds, bunk coverage, um, stuff like that, I, I see how aware the middle infielders, first and third guys are, pitchers, um, with their ability to understand w what we're trying to do if they're 12, 13, 14. As the guys get older, that becomes easier, so I don't have to really worry about that unless we get some new kid in who doesn't understand what he's trying to do, what the pitches are, stuff like that. In games, um, I focus on hitters and seeing if they can dismiss pitches, if they if they understand what they're doing, because a lot of kids don't understand what they're what, what type of approach they're having with the pitcher. You know, they sit. They, they don't know what pitches to swing at. They can't dismiss, you know, if the guy can't throw a breaking ball for a strike, they can't get rid of it, and they're looking for things that they're, they're not going to get in a game. Um, out here, it's pretty competitive where we're at, so you got to see skill levels that are sometimes above normal for the, the national level, but um, that kind of forces you to, to figure it out a little bit quicker, and I think – um, if you can get their mind to start thinking about the game differently, more in, in, a, in a way where they can figure out their, their own status, they're going to be better down the road, especially with the hitters and pitchers with runners and counts, can you run, you know, things like that, little things, and just try to add every day with what they're doing.
Great stuff, guys. And so we're going to transition into this next question. And this is kind of your coaching at practice. You may coach a position. What do you like to do as a team as a whole? So the question is this, and we'll start with you first, Coach Conklin. What are some everyday drills you like to do with your players? When it comes to everyday everyday drills, something that we would do every day before practice begins, especially on a defensive day, um, would be the infield daily drills. And I'm sure that all of us in here have, have all done some form of infield daily drills, whether that be on your knees, standing. Um, there's plenty of different things out there. But I always start with infield daily drills. And, and two of the main ones, the main things that we would do is, is we would have two sets of these drills um, where the first set you'd be on your knees. Um, and then we talk about three, three zones. So we have one zone, which is the glove side zone. We have another zone, which is the middle zone. And we have a third zone, which is the out zone. And these would go in sets of three. So you'd take three in each zone. Um, and then you'd get back up and you'd go on your stand and then you'd be standing. But we start with rolls in each zone. So you're going to get rolled ground balls from a partner in each zone, three, three, and three. And then we do short hops. So you're going to go back to the beginning. You're going to work the, the zone number one. And then you're gonna, the partner is going to throw you short hops. And once you go through all three zones, you stand up. And then you work three zones again um, on your feet. So those are, those are things, small things, but they're things that we start every defensive practice with to kind of get you going um, before we hit the field. And what about you, Coach Elliot? What are some everyday drills you do with your guys? Drills. Um, we start with three-pound weights. Or we warm up our shoulders and do a dynamic stretch every day. That's a mandatory. We play catch um, for at least 15 minutes trying to get their body warm, and then we break off into uh, double plays. Catchers go to receiving because we bring out a hack attack and we bring out a hummer for fly balls for drop steps. That is a routine we start off with with all the kids. So we make all of the kids do outfield. We make all the kids do infield play. Um, so they they learn different positions. Um, the catchers that are specifically catchers, we we get them. Um, to receive off the hack attack pretty per, pretty regularly. So that's done in the facility and on the field. Um, and it's something that's going to make them be able to adapt things a little bit easier. Um, it takes time, and it's, you know, it takes four coaches on a field. And what about you, Coach Lindsay? What are some everyday drills you do with your guys? So I usually have my players get there about 10 to 15 minutes early. Um, one reason I do that is because if you try out for a high school team, you don't want to get there right when tryout or practice starts. You always want to be early. So I try to teach that to the, the kids I'm working with. And we'll go through 10 minutes of mental training. Um, sometimes I bring in a book. I recently read Mental Conditioning by Brian Kane and it has some really fantastic stuff in there. Uh, again, stuff I like to share with the kids. And if one out of 13 get it, get it I'm happy with it. Um, so we'll do mental training every day. I think it's something that you have to practice every day. You have to practice mental training as much as you take BP, ground balls, or warming up. It's something that just has to be involved with practice. Then we'll go, we'll stretch for 10 to 15 minutes. And when we stretch, I really take the time to make sure they do it correctly. I see a lot of organizations, especially at our level, who just stretch and just go through the motions, aren't doing it correctly. I think it's really important to, to walk before we can run. If we can't stretch correctly, how are we supposed to feel the ball or play the game correctly? So it could take us 30, 45 minutes the first practice, a couple practices just to get the fundamentals down and how you do the stretches correctly. Um, once we get past that, I like to do the same thing. I like to use defensive dailies. Um, I, I think they're really important. I'm a strong believer in taking what successful teams are doing and incorporating it. 
Um, like Coach said, basically it's just fielding ground balls. We like to be on our knees, keep our nose to the ball, and wash it into the hands. We do front hand, backhand, and forehand. This helps build muscle memory so we can react to the correct way. Um, before the season ended, I used to challenge the kids at the end of every single defensive daily that we're going to roll. We're going to pick one of the random three that we're doing. We're going to roll it to each other. If you miss it, you do jumping jacks until everyone's out. So you could be doing jumping jacks for a long time. But I think uh, just keeping the competitive atmosphere is extremely important. Um, you know, we have to make practice. It's tougher than the games. You know, you, you learn in practice and you, you play the games. And that's kind of what we we try to focus on is just making practices competitive, daily defensive competitive. You know, when it comes to bullpen stuff, we do same thing competitive. You know, we'll, we track our bullpens. We have ball strikes, you know, hitters, stuff like that. And just try to keep practice as competitive as it possibly can be so that when we get to the game, it, it won't be as mentally draining. Great stuff so far, guys. And we're going to wrap home and bring together this episode right here with this last question. We'll start with you first, Coach Conklin. Do you think that technology is hurting or helping the game and why? So I think it's helping the game. And I'm just going to speak from more of like a recruiting perspective because that's what I do with the hit dogs and that's what I'm doing with my current 16U team. Um, when, we, when I think of baseball technology right now, I'm just thinking of the big, the rap sodos and the pocket radars, the things that are really big right now in a lot of travel organizations and high schools. And I can tell you from from what I'm doing right now with with our team and our program, um, every kid of every practice will. I mean, they they come in right now two times a week. Um, and one day they're pitching, the other day they're doing other things. But we'll just use pitching for an example. Um, every week they get new videos taken on their pitches, and and I can post these things to Twitter based on the the results I see from my pocket radar stuff, and then the rep sodos and. Um, when we post these things to Twitter, a lot of these college coaches reach out to me based on these numbers that they're seeing from these kids. And I can help kind of without these college coaches actually putting their eyes on these kids, I can actually provide a lot of information to them to where they don't have to come out to Michigan to see them for the first time, um, just based on the numbers that they're getting read on the pocket radar videos and the rep sodos. And a lot of the kids right now in our program got some of their first looks and are getting a lot of their looks right now from from different colleges and universities just because of these videos that we've put out there on twitter um and in turn the coaches reach out to me and then we go from there but the technology that we're seeing with these rap sodos and pocket radars every year there seems to be like a new version of these things coming out and you just get more and more um, data and stats from these things which really helps out the recruiting sphere and, and, and really helping out these kids um, get to the next level so I think the technology right now is just it's awesome and it's doing it's working wonders for our program out here in Michigan with the hit dogs and I'm sure it's working for uh, everyone else what about you coach Lindsay do you think that technology is helping or hurting the game and why I think technology has its benefits and disadvantages for instance, I use a slow motion feature on my iPhone to study player swings. I can really break it down and catch things I just can't catch when they have a live swing. And what I love too is I can show it to the player and they will actually, because a lot of times the player will think they're not doing this, not doing this. Then you get it on video and you show it to them and it's kind of eye-opening like, oh, I'm actually doing that. The body doesn't feel it's because the muscle memory is reacting. So you're not going to feel that. So then we can really start getting to work. Okay, let's fix this. So that's definitely a benefit to te uh, technology, excuse me. Um, I'd say a disadvantage is that sometimes the technology can get in players' heads. The video, you know, I've had some players who every, every swing, hey, coach, did you record that one? Hey, coach, can I take a look at that? And 
it's not a horrible thing, but it also can mentally affect a player if they're overthinking their swing compared to just going up there trying to have a good at bat. Um, what, like Coach said, Twitter, you know, YouTube, all this stuff, it's just incredible how much information there is out there right now. And, you know, it, it's out there. If you want to be a better coach and a better teacher, all the information's out there, and it's thanks to the technology. So, I mean, there's huge advantages. Like I said, there's small disadvantages, but overall, I think technology is helping the game. And let's face it, it's not going away. It's going to be here. So I think to be a good coach, you have to adapt to the situation, grow from it, learn from it as much as you can, and try to be the best coach you can be with what you got. We're going to wrap home this episode with you here, right, Coach Elliott. Do you think that technology is helping or hurting the game and why? Well, um, when I first started out, it we didn't have it, and now it's everywhere. Um, we are a, a, a place where we have um, Rapsodo hitting and pitching. We have a stalker radar gun. Um, I'm certified at driveline for pitching. We have certification for Rapsodo hitting and pitching. Um, so I think if you're going to do this, you're going to have to start partaking and participating in some of this stuff because the kids know it the coaches that you're talking to in colleges know it um, professional guys know it so when you're talking about spin rate and all that's that's coming up in 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 the talks with these coaches you have to know what you're talking about because they do um is it helping um it does I, I do believe it helps. Uh, I, I think it, it needs to be used in a manner where you're educating the kid so he can teach himself. So you're not he's not getting over-reliant on it. He can start making adjustments with it. So when you're using the stuff, Rapsodo, for, for example, for pitching, if, if the kid understands what he's talking about or, and you're talking about, he can make the adjustments without you talking to him, but that takes you to understand what you're doing and him to understand what you're talking about. It takes more time. It's it's more one-on-one um, -on -one coaching, and it's it's a little bit different than what's been going on in the past, but I think it does help. That wraps it up for the Coaches Roundtable podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. If you would be interested in being part of an episode yourself, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter at Coach Crato, K-R-A-T-O. Thank you.